Hey, this is Beth Nelson. I serve as the lead pastor at Prairie Heights Community Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for listening today. I hope this motivates you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you connect with Christ and a church family at Prairie Heights. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Prairie Heights. All right, we have some energy in the room. That's fantastic. Hey, it's great to be back uh, two weekends in a row. You might remember if you were here last weekend, I, I might have sounded like I was complaining a little bit about the heat and the humidity, but I just want to say you took it to heart. Somebody turned on the air conditioning for North Dakota. Uh, it's fantastic. It's good to be here. And uh, as you can tell by the little bumper media here, we are talking about courageous faith, having courage, so needed. Uh, let me tell you, just a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I was lacking just a little bit of courage. Here's what was happening uh, late at night, I don't know, 10, 10.30, something like that. My wife needed something from the garage, and so she went down the hallway and opened up the door that goes into the garage, flipped on the light, and I could hear, I was in the living room, I could hear, ah! I thought, what happened? So I get up and I go running over to see what was wrong, and she goes, ah! There's, um, there's, a, there's, there's something that I just saw. I just saw a run, run through the garage back door toward those boxes. And I said, well, was it a mouse? No, no, it was way too big to be a mouse. I mean, it, it, it was, I said, honey, calm down. Come. It, it, might, it, it looked like it could have been a rat. And I said, honey, you and I both grew up on farms. We saw rats on a farm, but no, not, not here, not here. Oh, it was really big. It's not a mouse. So you're going you're gonna to have to do something. Well, it's 10.30 at night, and there's no way that I'm going to go and start moving boxes going, here, rat, I'm here. No, so I took care of it the next day. I set a few mouse traps thinking, no, it's just my wife's imagination. It's, you know, mouse. And so the day after that, I was going to mow lawn. And so I got the lawnmower out from the side of the garage, and I went back in to grab the gas tank, and I reached down as I picked up the gas tank. Here, I'll tell you, here's what I did. Oh! There was a big gray rabbit. <laughs> and I was so glad it was just a rabbit because you thought, you know what I was thinking, is it a rat? No, it was a rabbit, and on top of that, it was a dead rabbit. Oh, come on now, some of you. It wasn't anybody's pet bunny, all right? So plus, it had been eating my wife's geraniums, and I don't feel responsible. So. But here's the reason I tell you that story. Once I saw the truth and understood the truth, I was no longer... <laughs> anxious or fearful. It's the same thing today as we jump back into 2 Timothy chapter, chapters 1 through 4. We're looking at 10 highlights that Paul gives to Timothy. And if we are willing to try to understand and apply these teachings from 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll see God's truth, we'll know God's truth, and we won't have to be as anxious or even fearful in this crazy world in which we're living today. So remember this. Here's what was going on. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from a prison room in Rome. It's about 66 AD, and he's writing to his friend, his young friend Timothy, who he's mentored. 
And he knows that Timothy is a little more on the side, maybe the introverted side, but being a little bit timid. And Timothy really needed courage because he was, as a leader, he was dealing with conflict from Christ followers in the early church and from people in the community around him. And, and so, you know, a lot of challenges. And he needed encouragement to have courage. And here's the other thing that's going on. I mean, this is during the era of Nero and Rome. And, and Nero had already begun his, his campaign to persecute Christ followers and to execute them, to martyr them, to feed them to the lions. I mean, it felt to them like such a crazy world, perhaps maybe it feels that way to us, like it's a crazy world. And so on Paul's mind are things like his ministry, Timothy, heaven, could be his last days. So, so much is going on in this letter to Timothy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do part two this morning. And last week, we took a look at the first five teachings of my personal favorite top 10 teachings out of 2 Timothy. Now, believe me, there's no place in the Bible that says these are the best 10, all right? But they are teachings that have really impacted my life, and I pray and hope they'll impact your life again today too. So before we get into the last five, let's do a real quick review of the first five that I shared with you last week. And it helps us understand how we can live with courageous faith in the world today. Here's the first one. Trust God's Spirit to empower you and use you. God's Holy Spirit, if you're new to this, is part of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit's power that raised Jesus from the dead, and the resurrection power of Christ is the greatest power in the universe the greatest power ever, the resurrection power. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, trust God's spirit. He'll empower you to have courage, empower you to use you, your spiritual gifts. Secondly, be bold with the good news of Christ. Have you noticed in today's culture how bold so many different groups and individuals and activists are about their cause or their ideology or their belief? Well, Paul is telling Timothy, be bold, because it's the good news. It's the greatest message ever. Entrust truth to others to multiply God's kingdom. That's what Paul was doing for Timothy. He was entrusting the truth that he'd been teaching them, and he's saying, now, Timothy, get ready, because you need to now pass this on to other trustworthy followers of Jesus. Study to understand and obey God's word. You know, we talked about this last week. It's one thing to, to own and hold and know where your Bible is, your physical Bible, and you can have a Bible app, and there's some great ones, but there's a difference between just owning a Bible or holding a phone with your Bible app open, and it's good to read. In fact, ideally, we're reading God's Word every day, but I'm challenging us to take it to another level, and that is to actually study it, to understand it, so that we can apply it. And then number five, pursue godly living with godly friends. One of the things I love about Prairie Heights is that this feels like family. And if we are going to pursue holy living, godly living, living in a way that pleases Jesus as we follow him, we need other like-minded Christ followers. And you'll find this here at Prairie Heights. And I pray that you're finding that community with other godly people.
All right, there's a review of last week. Now let's jump into the last five this morning. Number six, recognize the dangers of the last days. Recognize the dangers of the last days. You might be wondering, are we in the last days? What are the last days? The last days began when Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended back into heaven. And his Holy Spirit came upon the early believers at a time that we now refer to as Pentecost. And from then until the day that Jesus comes back and returns to get his followers, that's the last days. So are we living in the last days? It can sure feel like it. But as I get ready to read this passage, ask yourself, wow, what were they experiencing that caused Paul to write this? And you'll find that it's so relevant to actually what's going on in this crazy, lost, broken world today. Verses one to five. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Times feel difficult right now, don't they? For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud and scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Does that feel like today? Loving pleasure rather than God? They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Right now you might be going, wait a minute, Byron, I thought you just read a highlight from last week where... Paul is challenging Timothy to be bold with the good news, share the good news with others. Yes, but the context here, when Paul says to Timothy, stay away from people like that, these should not be our peeps. This should not be our close group that we hang with. We need the body of Christ for that. So Paul is just warning Timothy, this world that we live in, dangers, last days, let me tell you about what happened when, uh, just in March, when Lynn and I went to Florida for our annual anniversary trip. And uh, we've been married 46 years, and we like getting someplace where it's warm. And uh, so we go to Clearwater Beach in Florida, and uh, we hired an Uber driver to take us from the airport to the hotel in Clearwater Beach. And so I want to tell you that what was going on was just so crazy because Linda and I had walked about a half mile to have a romantic anniversary dinner and on the way back, there's this vibe that's going on. There's so many people and the main drag is really, really busy. And you weren't quite sure what was going on, but then I looked ahead as we were getting closer to our hotel and there were all these flashing colored lights. It was just going crazy. And Linda said, what do you think's going on? And I said, I think they know it's our anniversary. They're celebrating. No, as we get closer, there's this huge crowd. And you got to picture this. We're standing at the front of our hotel. Then there's a street. And then there's a big store called Surf Style. And Surf Style was a double-decker, a two-floor shop that had everything. And it had a big sign over the front door, to the beach. 
And so literally every day, thousands of people would go through this surf-style store to get to the beach, and we did several times a day. But now there's this huge crowd gathered and all these cops, and there's a SWAT team, and there's ambulance. Obviously, something's going on. As we stood there just a couple of minutes later, some EMTs were carrying out a stretcher, and you could see that there was a body on the stretcher. And then I saw a couple of what appeared to be maybe friends, family members, I don't know, but they were latching onto the, the stretcher into this, what turned out to be a young man's body, just wailing and crying and screaming. We weren't sure what had happened. But the next day at the pool, we found out. We were visiting with a mom and her two teenage kids by the pool, and they were from Texas, and we were starting to talk and found out that they had actually been in this store on the second floor when the shootings occurred. They were just shopping, and the place was full of a lot of young people, and they told us that all of a sudden they could hear this arguing, they could see these two girls fighting, and it sounded like maybe they're fighting over a guy, they weren't sure, and all of a sudden two other guys pull out guns and they start shooting at each other, and they could actually see the flash from the from the bullet being discharged, and they could feel the percussion in the room. They were only 20 feet away. And so they hit the ground and lay there a little bit, and now all of a sudden, dozens of kids are yelling, grab it, loot, loot, and they are looting the store, and there's mass chaos going on. And so this mom and her two kids, they crawled along the floor into a changing room, and there was an assistant manager in there, and they hid there for about a half hour until a SWAT guy came and told him it was safe. Because of that fight, that young man died. And guess what? The next day, early afternoon, the police apprehended the shooters in a mall a mile away. The shooters were walking around shopping in a mall. The reason I tell you that horrific story is because to me it's a snapshot of the lostness, the brokenness of this world, of these last days perhaps. There's almost a sense of disconnect between what's right and what's wrong. I mean, when shots ring out, the first thing people do is start looting a store. And then the next day, rather than running away, the two shooters are shopping in a mall. It's like there's this numbness in our culture to what is really right and what is really good. We're in a battle. Thankfully, the battle belongs to the Lord. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to be very, very aware of the dangers. Let's go to number seven. Embrace persecution for your biblical faith. Embrace it. Now, when you hear the idea of embracing persecution, yeah, persecution does not sound like anything I want to do or experience. Perhaps it hits you that way too. And so you might be wondering, so Byron, why are you using the word embrace? We're going to find out as we read because Paul says it's inevitable if you're living a godly life. So you might as well expect it. You might as well get used to it. You might as well wrap your arms around what's going to happen if you're living a godly life. Timothy, certainly you know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. 
You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone, I want you to listen very carefully, people. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Maybe you're like me. I've wondered this last year in our culture, why does it seem like evil people are flourishing? And as I read this, I was very challenged and very convicted. And I'm asking myself, so when's the last time I was persecuted or mocked or made fun or ridiculed for wanting to live a godly life? Maybe we should go even deeper. Now, careful, this might hurt a little bit. If you are a Christ follower and you're not experiencing any kind of persecution from anyone else, why not? Paul is saying, look, if you're going to try to live a godly life, count on it. Count on it. I shared with you last week, and I'll share it with you again, that in a Gallup survey a few months ago, it said that evangelicals, evangelical Christ followers, are the most disliked and least trusted people group in America right now. And if you're new to the idea of some terminology associated with the church or Christianity, Evangelical faith is faith that believes that God's word is completely true and that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And yet, we are the most disliked and distrusted group. Why is that? We'll talk more about that in just a little bit, but when you think about persecution... I was amazed to discover as I was researching and getting ready for today that it's estimated between 10 and 15,000 Christ followers are martyred, executed, killed for their faith in Christ around the world each year. And maybe some of us are going, oh, that would never happen in America, would it? Be aware of the dangers of the last days. Some years ago, I was speaking at a youth conference in a city, and afterwards, I was sitting down and praying with a 14-year-old boy by the name of Philip. And uh, we walked through the scripture, and Philip recognized, and I'm sharing this now because perhaps some of you need to really hear this and understand this and believe this. Philip recognized that God loves us and wants a relationship with us, but that our sin keeps us from God but that Jesus, God's son, came and died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, rose again to prove he's the savior, and he'll change our lives now and take us to heaven someday. And we were reading these scriptures, and Philip just, yes, that's what I want. And so Philip prayed to become a Christ follower. And so I was getting his contact information and giving him a Bible. And then he started to really cry. And I said, so Philip, are you just so joyful and excited about becoming a Christ follower? I am, but I have no place to go tonight. I said, what do you mean? 
I have grown up in a strict Buddhist family, and my father knows that I've been interested in Christianity. And he told me that if I ever become a Christian, that he would disown me as a son, and I need not bother to even come home because I could no longer live with my family. That's persecution. We made sure that Philip had a place to stay, that we got him some help. Now, I'm not saying that we are going to experience all of that, but the question comes back to what Paul's saying to Timothy. If you want to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. Count on it. In our culture today, let me give you a very current example. Some of you have been following the news where this crazy phenomenon of Drag queens are going into public libraries in different cities and doing story hour for children as young as three, four, five years of age. And there's been several movements around the country where Christian parents, especially Christian moms, are trying to prevent this from happening in their community. And so, so much of the media is mocking these Christian parents and saying they are practicing hate speech and that they are bigots and they are not showing God's love. It's real, folks. It's real. Let's embrace it because God's power will help us face persecution for living godly lives. Let's go to the next one, eight. Trust God's inspired authoritative word. He says this in chapter 3, verses 14 and seven, through 17, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. He grew up with a Christian mom and Christian grandma. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have, been given, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. To help us realize what's true and to recognize what's wrong. We live in a culture today where so many people say, uh, God's word has changed, and so there's a, it's progressive, and so uh, think times have changed, and so we can change God's word, and so, but here's the deal, folks. When we read God's word telling us something that we're doing is sin, our opinion doesn't matter. God's word is holy. God's word is true. It says it's inspired. That means it's God-breathed by his Holy Spirit. God uses it to prepare and equip people to do every good work. I love what this church is doing with Serve Sunday on June 25. My goodness, that is a, a physical demonstration to Fargo that you are serious about serving others and loving others in the name of Jesus. I love the idea of the free oil change. I, I live 200 miles away, but I might just drive back up here to get my oil changed. <laughs> we'll see. Some of you grew up around God's word and you've been taught since you were little. Perhaps many of you did not have that privilege, and you're wondering, really, is it relevant today? Can we trust it? Is it 
historically accurate. Let's watch this little clip. I think it'll help us get a grasp on this. Yeah. Is the Bible relevant? Can an ancient book from 2,000 years ago still speak into our lives today? Even in our busy and frantic world, the deepest questions of humanity have not changed. Is there a God? What happens when I die? Is there any purpose to life? These questions are timeless, and the answers the Bible supplies about life, faith, and truth are also timeless. It is the description God gave us of who He is and His love and plans for humanity. The Bible remains relevant to us today, and its message is one that continues to bring inspiration, comfort, and hope to those who read it. Because of its challenging claims and message, the Bible has drawn more attention and more study than any other book in history, and the ongoing research of its manuscripts and its message concludes that the Bible is unparalleled in the accuracy of transmission, unequaled as a reliable source of historical information, and unsurpassed in its continuing relevance to readers throughout the centuries. Because of this, we can trust the Bible. We can trust what it says about life, God, and itself. We can trust that the Bible's message is accurate, reliable, relevant, and true. It is the inspired word of God for all people. Written by 40 authors over 13 centuries on three continents, yet with one message. The radical love of God for humanity never ends. That's his love. That's why Jesus came. God gave us his word to know this, to understand this, to be able to believe this, to have our lives changed now and forever. When it says that God's inspired word, literally translated, it means God breathed. I want you to see since the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. In Psalms, we find that literally every breath we take is a gift from God. God's breath gives us life, sustains life, teaches us life. Are we in God's word? Are we trusting it? It is inspired. It is authoritative. Lee Strobel has an amazing story. Some of you have been in a small group here that have used some of his books. One of the classic ones is Case for Christianity. There's Case for Christ. And so Lee Strobel was sometimes considered himself an agnostic, sometimes an atheist, but he was editor of the Chicago Tribune, and he was so annoyed and frustrated by these Jesus people who were talking about the Bible and he was annoyed by it. So he decided to do what he did. He was a researcher and he spent a year and a half researching with the attempt to disprove the Bible. But after a year and a half of research and God's spirit working on him, he realized, no, it's true. And then he became a Christ follower. How about us today? Are we trusting God's inspired authoritative word? Let's look at number nine. Share God's truth in a world full of lies. Share his truth in a world full of lies. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, Paul says this, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word. Let me do a quick time out there. 
You don't have to be a preacher on the stage at Prairie Heights to do this. It's sharing God's truth in a world full of lies. It is God's truth. It's the holy word of God. Years ago when my grandpa Corny, his name was Cornelius, but he went by Corny. My grandpa Corny lived in a nursing home a block away from our house. And so when I was doing a lot of traveling to speak, I would often go visit him to tell him so, because I knew he would pray for me. And so I went in and visited him one day and I said, hey, grandpa, I'm getting ready to go on a trip. I'm going to go speak somewhere at a conference. And, and uh, all of a sudden he goes, Byron. I said, yeah. I don't think it's biblical for you to be flying in airplanes. It's not biblical for me to fly in an airplane. Why is that? Because Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always. Now you understand my demented sense of humor, right? But then with a smile and great confidence and love, he looked at me and he said, Byron, don't ever forget. Preach the word. Preach the word. Paul goes on, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. There are so many churches in America today that at one point were teaching the true word of God, but now they have slid away from it because of the attempt to make God's word fit culture. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. How do we do this? With love and compassion. With love and compassion. Paul says in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. A lot of unbelievers say that they don't want to believe the Bible or believe in Jesus because they see hypocrisy among those of us who claim to be Christ followers. But if we are worshiping Jesus as the center of our life, letting him control our life, lead us, someone might just say, so tell me, why are you so hopeful? What, what's changed about you? Let me give you an example of that. When we were in Florida, we flew into the airport. We needed an Uber to get to our hotel. And so let me show you a picture of our Uber driver and myself. And by the way, as you look at the picture, I'm the guy, on, as you look at, I'm the guy on the left. Just if you were confused. His name's Brandon. Fantastic guy. Early 20s. We're having this amazing talk and finding out that he's this go-getter. He wants to achieve a lot. Comes from a broken home and out east, but now he's living in Florida. He has several jobs going on. He wants to be a real estate guy and all of this. And so he asked if we were on vacation. And I said, yeah, we're here celebrating our 46th wedding anniversary. He goes, 46? Wow. What's your secret? Now, at that point, we could have either gone, hey, we love each other. 
But we felt God was leading Linda and me to take it to the next level. And we said, well, first of all, we're Christ followers. And we shared, them about, shared the truth about how Christ has changed our life. And then we said, and we've centered our marriage in Jesus Christ to let him lead and guide and grow our marriage. He was so intrigued about that. So we arranged for him to take us back to the airport when we left, and then we're having more questions. And so we even prayed with him, and I, asked, I told him, I said, let's stay in touch, Brandon, but uh, I want you to think about this question. If you died and stood before the door of heaven and Christ opens the door and says, Brandon, hi, I created you, man. I love you, but you need to tell me, Brandon, why should I let you into heaven? Brandon, what are you going to say to Jesus? I texted him a few days ago. I haven't heard back yet, but he's still thinking about that. If you think about it, would you join me in praying for Brandon, my Uber friend, <laughs> that he comes to know Jesus? He just wanted to know the hope that we had. Sharing the truth in a world full of lies, sometimes those lies impact people who are believers, Christ followers. Linda and I, we know a couple that have taken on a different perspective of what God's word teaches. They are now believing a lie because now they no longer are believing that hell exists or that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And the reason they are changing their belief and believing the lie is because they have kids who have totally rejected faith in Christ and they want a relationship. Share the truth in a world full of lies. Okay, let's go on, finish up with this. Number 10, keep your eyes on God's heavenly prize. Keep your eyes on God's heavenly prize. At the end of, the, of his letter, verses six and eight, chapter four, he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And the, now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me. This is so cool. But for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing, question, my friend, are you looking forward to Jesus coming back? Can I just say with love, I'm going to speak the truth. Listen up. If you are not looking forward to his appearing, it may be because you know you're not ready. Today could be your day. He loves you, died for you, rose again for you. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, I know I'm, I'm going to be taken out here pretty soon, but I'm so excited because of the prize that God has awaited. Heaven, presence of Jesus, being with other family and friends and people who over the ages have come to know Christ. We're in heaven together forever. We could spend a whole message on just that, but I want to conclude by asking this question. So how do we do that? How do we keep our eyes on God's heavenly prize? We keep our eyes on Jesus. That's how. You'll see in the photo a picture of rowing competition. And I've always been so intrigued. This is one of my favorite events when I watch the Summer Olympics. And you'll see these 
incredibly athletic men or women. They, they, you know, they have different kinds of competition, but they're athletic. They're just buffed, just strong, and they are rowing in sync together. And the person who is keeping them that way is the coxswain, the leader of their team. That person is the only one who can see the finish line. If the finish line is this way, I'm in the boat rowing. Only the coxswain sitting at the back of the boat looking this way can see the finish line. But he is yelling out encouragement. Hang in there. Roll faster. Turn left. Turn right. Come on, we can do this. I think that's what Jesus is doing for us to help us keep our eyes on the heavenly prize. You see, we can't see the finish line. I don't know when my finish line is. It could be this coming week. Next month could be your finish line. Month after that, it could be the finish line for everybody because Jesus comes back, which, by the way, I'm, I'm cool with. But are we keeping our eyes on Jesus? Because that's how we will be faithful. That's how we will be obedient. That's how we will be living godly and being ready for when Jesus takes us home. Ten top teachings from 2 Timothy. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for sending your son to die for us, to be our savior, to prove in the resurrection that it is true. It is true. Thank you for giving us your word, your, your Holy Spirit-inspired, God-breathed scriptures to lead us to you, to show us how to live, to give us hope, to teach us how to have courage in these difficult days in which we live. Father, would you encourage believers here today? Help us to apply at least one of these teachings this week. And Lord, again, I know your heart for people here this morning who have yet to place their faith and trust in you. I pray that even today, they'll do so. They'll grab somebody and say, help me. I wanna follow Jesus. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to Prairie Heights. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit prairieheights.com slash give for more information. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Prairie Heights. Thank you for listening.